Hi, and welcome to the John Rogers Talk Show. It's coming on uh, 4pm on Monday the 19th of February 2024. And this week, I'm not taking you for a walk um, with Bonnie Dog because it's another Monday that kind of ran away on me. So instead, you and I are going for a drive as I head to do uh, a little bit of grocery shopping. Never let it be said that the John Rogers talk show isn't exciting. Um, I'm not 100% sure how this is going to sound. Uh, I did a quick test earlier of... Um, the audio setup while driving and it was okay and I'm sure it'll be fine um, I haven't invested much of anything into this podcast uh, yet um, I Nearly always recorded on my iPhone out walking with Bonnie Dog. Uh, you can buy microphones that connect to uh, smartphones um, that then have. Um, I, I'm not quite sure what you call those things. Kind of like the mufflers that you put on them. They cut down on the wind noise. Um, the best versions of them aren't all that expensive but I don't have money to put into this yet so um, believing oh my god I'm after going the wrong way I'm not heading to the village I'm heading to uh, I'm heading to and Moor I could go up this road but I hate this road so we'll go back the way um, so I just used the iPhone last week I recorded the talk show at the desk and my desk and I used uh, my USB microphone that I also use for the John Rogers show my live radio show um, I got that from Thoman it's not a very expensive one uh I got it during lockdown, sort of as a treat to myself, and uh, it's fine, it's grand. Um, it's actually more than fine for the amount of money it costs, it's, it's, it, it's, it's excellent. Um, when I record this, if I have time, I have a quick listen pack, and um, if I'm happy enough with the sound quality, because I'm trying not to be my usual perfectionist self, I just publish. Um, otherwise, if I think the sound is a little unclear, I'll just put it in Audacity. Audacity is an amazing... Um, open sourced uh, audio software program and I put it in there and I do a very simple tidy up and that's it I am no sound engineer let me tell you but I appreciate good sound a friend of mine uh, who knows a good bit about filmmaking um we were talking once about shooting lo-fi, you know, shooting on, making, you know, a short film on mid-range cameras or maybe even with a cell phone and stuff like that. And he said, you can get away with crap footage, low-res footage, um, you can get away with the worst looking picture you can think of 
as long as your sound is crystal clear. Um, and I like that. I like that. Um, so I published last week's one, even though um, in last week's episode, shortened episode that it was, I talked a bit about suffering from anxiety. And I suppose the fact that I know there are very few people listening to this um, it makes it easier uh, to share stuff like that. But in the week since I've been thinking about Um, what, what I want so that's another area that I'm nervous in sharing in public you know talking about my desires I'm not talking about uh, sexual desire for instance that's something that uh, is just for me to know for now anyway uh but I mean, what do I want from life outside of that? What do I want as an artist? What? Um, how do I def- define success? And what is this? talk show, what is this uh, podcast so the point of this podcast is to learn how to podcast by doing it and also to try and understand why do I want to have a podcast with us. The one thing the world does not need is another podcast. So that's the how and the why. So figuring out those two things, how to do it and why I want to do it, by doing it. I think I'm, I'm figuring out is um, I'd kind of guess this anyway is that one of the ways of doing it one of the answers to that question of how do I do this is to uh, stay consistent so I've tried to make sure I've, I've recorded one every week every Monday around this time of day I go off and record one try to make keep it in about in around an hour and then broadcast it live on my radio channel at johnrogershow.com and then upload it to Acast that's the other area where I'm not spending any money on this I'm using the Acast free platform which allows me to I think a few hours a week free uh, but it does mean that Anyone listening to it um, will um, have ads to deal with. Um, Ultimately, I would love to have something that is of value to enough people that enough people would subscribe to it through Patreon or something else like that. And that way I could, you know, get rid of the ads. But I don't have anything really 
I don't think, of value yet. And I can honestly say, this is worth paying for. And that's fine. Um, so, so the how and the why now, the next part of this is kind of, kind of they're mixed. They're part, it's part of how and it's part of why. How to build an audience and building an audience is part of why I'm doing this. Because I've been working in theatre for over 20 years. I've been working as a solo artist for over 10 years now. And I can objectively say that the quality of the work I made, the art was not the problem. The lack of an audience was a problem. And by that I don't mean that... Um, I don't mean that the audience were, were at fault for not showing up. I mean, I didn't... I have to be careful here now that I don't beat myself up here, but I didn't build an audience. And I don't know how to build an audience. I don't know how to build an audience. And not only that, I didn't. Um, I didn't. Stop. And think much, if any, about about how to build an audience. My thinking was, if I ever did stop to think about that, was <laughs> that old cliche, build it and they will come. Make the make good quality theater, and if it's good enough, word will get out, and that's how you build an audience. But looking back now, I realize how, I suppose, for want of a better word, how naive that position was. So I didn't have any money to spend on marketing. And looking back on it, I always treated marketing as this sort of, oh, to, to, to spend too much time on marketing would be akin to selling out. Even the word marketing, to, to consider the audience as being uh, people who were visiting the market looking to buy theatre the, the concept just always left me feeling kind of cold and I still do have a problem with that word market in marketing But making the work without stopping to consider how do I get the word out to as many piece, people as possible, especially as a freelance artist living in a small city like Galway, where there isn't a huge theatre audience anyway. There's not a bad theatre audience, but I mean like Fergal McGrath at the Town Hall Theatre will tell you he's got his work cut out every year making sure he gets them in the door um, 
so it's not a huge audience. And when I think back, I didn't really, like I said, I didn't really stop to think, how do I, how do I make sure that at least the audience that's there, that as many of them as possible know about my work? So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is the work I do, it's not like, and I'm not, I don't, I'm, I do not mean to diminish what I'm about to give as an example, but it's not like I was putting on John B. Keane plays or doing the Playboy of the Western world or anything that might, you know, appeal or not even appeal, might um, sound remotely familiar to that theater audience. So if I ever did think about my work as along the lines of how do I find an audience for my work I think I was hoping that my work would appeal to a different audience to an audience who don't normally go to the theatre but now I wonder about the wisdom of that thinking because certain art forms I think, for some reason, there, there's a block getting people in the door. There's a block getting people in the door to theatre who don't, don't normally go to the theatre. Likewise, galleries, art galleries, like uh, and visual arts, getting people who don't normally visit uh, attend, and attend um, uh, installations or shows by visual artists classical music, that's just, for want of a better term, orchestral music might be a better way of describing it. Again, it's there are a lot of folk out there who I know that if they were ever to come along to any of these things, who don't normally attend this, these types of art would be um, maybe surprised that they'd, enjoy, that they'd find themselves enjoying this work more than they'd realize, but the reality is, it's it's hard to get get them in the door, and so it was well, not always. It was it was it was in a very arrogant position for me to to take. Now that I think about it, that I could me on my own without a real clear strategy could somehow create work that was so astounding <laughs> in the studio in the town hall that it would start bringing in lots of people who wouldn't normally go to the theatre now in my defence because we don't value and support artists in, the, in this country as well as we do as they do in other countries, it's not all that surprising in a way. And and there's so you know so there's so such a small amount of funding out there anyway. It's very hard to get your hands on that funding. It's not surprising, in a way, that I never had the headspace to think about these things clearly. So, but that's it. So, I never really considered how do I build an audience. Uh, um, I just thought if I if I make work that's good enough, they'll come and see it, and. You know, when I look at, you look at Druid Theatre, the most established, the most established theatre company in Galway, and one of the most established theatre companies in the country. Um, they can't rest on their laurels. They can't just you know, make it make a show and then expect their audience to show up. And this is a, a a company with a great reputation, 
great legacy and a, and a core audience that already exists. They can't, I would imagine, they have to spend an enormous amount of time and money on marketing. If you go to an even bigger picture, uh, apparently, I'm not sure this is true, but apparently, um, the jeans company, Levi, Levi jeans in the 80s and into the early 90s, they wore, you know, they might as well have been the only jean manufacturer, jean, jean, jeans brand, the 501, Levi 501 were ubiquitous. Um, they were the market leaders. There's that word again. And they... I don't know if this is true or not, but I remember hearing this story and reading this story in a few different places. Apparently they thought they were above having to, to do much advertising. Like they'd already, you know, made it and therefore didn't need to keep spreading the word about their product. And then they got blindsided by at the high end diesel and at the lower end Wrangler and they got squeezed. And they and then another generation came along who were less likely to wear blue den denim. And so their, what appeared to be unassailable position suddenly became very assailable. So everyone has to make sure they're staying in the conversation, no matter who you are. But how does an artist make that breakthrough in the first place? Like, if I think back to what brought me to theatre in the first place, it was curiosity. I always wondered if I'd be any good at acting. I didn't know jack shit about theatre. I'm embarrassed. Well, I'm actually not. There's no reason to be embarrassed because we had been introduced to so... Like, in school, theatre was this thing we read rather than we actually... We didn't see much of it. We didn't make much of it. And so I had it in my head that theater in the 20th century was a, had been completely, <laughs> when you think about it, there was a lot of truth in this, uh, had been completely um, overtaken by, by cinema and television. And I thought that the only reason theater still existed was that um, if you had an idea for a good film or TV show, you might try it out first as a, as a, as, as a play. In fact, I've forgotten his name. He wrote that famous play, Isn't It Called Alone It Stands? It's about uh, when Munster bet the All Blacks. Um, alone It Stands forgotten the name of the man who wrote it he wrote a play in the 90s late 90s early noughties um about charlie hockey i think it was just called charlie and it was the first professional theater piece i went to see i was in sligo i went to see it in the hawksville in sligo uh because it was a political anorak i went to see it because it was about charlie hockey and it blew me away. I, I, I wonder what I'd make of it if I saw it now. But I remember at the time it was just so cleverly done with, a, with an ensemble acting, many you know, sharing different parts. And uh, God, my head is terrible. I can't remember the name of the famous Irish actor, stage actor who played hockey. Um, anyway, I enjoyed it. But I was as ignorant as could be going to the theatre. Um <laughs> I thought one wore one suit to the theatre like one would always show up at the opera in um, in black tie uh, so I got my suit dry cleaned to go see this play 
on a on a Wednesday night in the Huxwell. And I also didn't realise that one doesn't bring one's drink into the auditorium after the interval. So I was sitting close to the... Oh, yeah, yeah. And I sat way too close to the stage when I picked my ticket. It wasn't sold out. And I sat way too close to the front. And I was the only one in my row. And for the for the... Oh, God, I should have been taken out and shot when I think of it now. For the whole, for the rest of the show after the interval, I sat in my suit. Um, <laughs> splayed in my seat with my legs resting uh, on the seat in front of me, sucking on a bottle of Miller. I don't know, did I think it was at the cinema or something? I, I never stopped to think that the people on stage would see me like this. Anyway. And then... Uh, uh, then there's this Q&A. The writer-director, he wanted this play to run the go around the country and to have a discussion about Hawaii and his legacy and politics in general in Ireland. Um, uh, so he, he, he'd hold a Q&A with the audience after every show. Um, and I stayed for that. And I'm, I'm awfully embarrassed when I think back on it. The question I asked was, when is the film? Because I thought, that's why you do plays in the 20th century. Or maybe this is already the 21st century, but that's why you do plays now. The only reason you do a play is to test it out to see if it's going to be any good on the big screen or on the little screen. And I said, so when's the film? Uh, and I remember <laughs> he pulled the face. He didn't criticize me or anything. And maybe he was thinking about it in that way, but he... he, he I remember the look in his face and looking back and I think his face was, what are you talking about? This is a piece of theatre. This is, if I wanted to make a film, I would have made a film, you know? Now, thinking back on that, I remember enjoying the performance or the, the play so much uh, that um, I knew my dad would enjoy it. So I saw that it was going to Castle Bar. It was the next place it was playing near us. So we went down to Castle Bar, my dad and I, and we saw it. And um, I, I, I really enjoyed it again. And um, I, the, at, at the Q&A, I did a much better job of the question I asked in the Q&A uh, down in Castle Bar. Because at the end of the play, if I remember correctly, so the, 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 the framework in which the play hangs on, is the idea that um, Hockey went to see this um, farmer. So, if I remember correctly, it was around the, uh, the, the playwright in his notes of the, of, of the play. Um, told a story about his mother-in-law, if I remember this correctly. So, his mother-in-law was, was Fine Gael. Despised Fine Fall, despised Hockey. And it was around the time that um, Fine Gael were um, uh, tying themselves up in knots at yet another heave against their not very beloved leader, the now late John Bruton. Um, and the playwright's mother-in-law said that poor John, part of the problem is that he just... He's not very good at connecting with people, you know, and, and it, it, it's something that I, I think a lot of Fine Gael people, I wonder how much they, they, they wonder about this in times gone past before Enda Kenny, before they finally got Enda uh, as leader and then Taoiseach, is that their leaders never seem to be able to um, connect with the so-called ordinary person on the street, 
Fitzgerald didn't have that connection, let's say, that Hockey had, and a, a more evident ease with the people, and likewise Bruton versus Ahern. Uh, and so the mother, this guy's mother-in-law, he, she told a story then that apparently when Hockey was Taoiseach, he was down the country at a funeral, uh, some funeral funeral in Mayo somewhere I think it was and um, he spotted the neighbour's farm so he spotted as he was at the house where this old school Fianna Fáil big weight had passed away he spotted the next door farm and, and he said I wonder how so and so is getting on how he had remembered the old farmer who lived next door and uh, he cut across the field and popped in and had a cup of tea with the old farmer. And the playwright's mother-in-law was making a point that um, this is something Fitzgerald would never have done. And it's something that Ahern would have been able to do that Bruton would never have been, would never have been likely to, to do. And there is some truth in that. And you might say, well, sure, that's the problem right there with politics. Um, uh, we shouldn't need that personable touch. But as a, as an, as a theatre artist of all sorts of art forms, I don't understand why we would uh, dismiss the importance of that sort of human touch. And it often frustrates me that um, many, well, as 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 a person on the left and as a socialist, I often look at socialist politicians who I admire and I want to not only vote for, but campaign for. And yet I see that they are not, they're lacking that touch of being able to just know how to mix with people. It's interesting. Anyway, my God, I'm gone off on a hell of a tangent. The thing is that, um, Yeah, so when we went to see it in in Mayo, that that was the, that was the kind of that the the thing that the play hung on was that was the playwright imagined what might the conversation have been between Hahi and his farmer, and it turned out in 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 the playwright's telling of it that that the farmer was one of these guys who um, uh, borrowed a load of money from the banks and then got 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 hung when when the investments failed. And the and the banks, um, the banks came after him, and and the farmer was making a point that he had been a funeral uh, supporter over the years, and why didn't he get protected from the banks the way that Ellis and Leitrim had been protected, or how Hockey himself had been uh, protected? Um, and at the end of the play. Um, Hahi apologizes to the farmer. And I remember asking or making a point or asking a question. It mightn't have been so much a question as a point. Yeah, I made a point to the playwright that I had a problem with that ending because if the farmers represent, if the farmer in that case represents us, the people of Ireland, we never received an apology from Hahi. Or if the farmer is to represent that small farmer from rural Ireland who was uh, a Dev supporter and then a Fianna Fáil supporter and then a Hahi supporter, they never received an apology, proper apology from Hahi. They received a um, blinking you'd miss it apology from Bertie O'Hearn on Hahi's part behalf, but it was nothing compared to uh, Ahern's eulogy of, of Hahi a few years later when Hahi passed away. So it makes you wonder how much Bertie actually meant that apology he made in the Doyle. Anyway, I made that point. So I suppose what I'm trying to say is that between seeing the play in Sligo and seeing the play in um, in Mayo, uh, 
I'd learned enough not to ask that stupid question, when are you going to turn this into a film? And now that I think of it, there, there you go. I was not someone who went to the theatre. Michael D. as Minister for the Arts in the 90s had made sure that regional theatres were set up around the country, and yet I, I, I hadn't bothered to go see anything. And Sligo is a really interesting case because not only does it have a regional theatre and a very good one in the Hawkswell, but it has this living miracle that is the Blue Raincoat Theatre Company. A Parisian um, uh, trained theatre troupe making well let's just put it this way they're not putting on ordinary uh, versions of uh, John B. Keane plays they were making work that was really interesting and it never crossed my mind to go see that either and it was only working in the, in the internet cafe that I saw a flyer for this play Charlie in the Hawkswell and when I realised it was about Charlie Hahi, that's what got me in the door. So I wonder if, if subconsciously, my entrance, my my crossing of that threshold into the world of being a theatre audience member that came about because a playwright made a play about something I was interested in, in, that, in this case, uh, Irish politics, um... I wonder if that uh, subconsciously made me think that's how I'd build my own audiences. I'll make esoteric one-man shows that are science, science fiction in a very, in a not very obvious manner, and that uh, <laughs> that'll appeal to to uh, to enough people who are into that sort of thing, and they'll start going to the theater. Uh, They'll, they'll 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 decide to start going to the theater then um on the back of that um I don't know but if i I brought that up because I'm thinking about why i why I started acting so I started acting I don't know how much of this I've talked about with you already on this talk show, but basically I was working in the internet cafe in Sligo. I had dropped out of college and um, a beautiful young woman was in, from uh, a Sligo woman, was in using the internet cafe and I made an attempt at chatting her up uh, and I didn't get too far, but I asked her what she was where she was in college and she said she was, I think she said she was in Corinna. and she was studying, amongst other things, she was studying theatre. And I said, honestly, I said, oh, that's something I've always wanted to try. I seen, I often wondered if I'd be any good at acting. And she said that there is an audition in the local paper uh, for a play in Sligo. And I didn't really read the local paper or listen to the local radio, so I wouldn't have known that if she hadn't said that. And so I found the ad, and I sh- rocked up to the audition, and I didn't know a goddamn thing that I was doing, but I landed, I got the part. And uh, and then one of the people in the play with me was a student and I was actually going back to college, I think. Yeah, yeah. I'd planned to go back to IT Sligo as it was then. And he he said he 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 put me onto two things that really really got me going then in uh, on acting. One of them was he got me. He told me that one of the local one of the Sligo amateur drama societies, the Sligo Drama Circle, were having an open night where they were looking for new. Um, members to join you know they were looking for young blood young actors so he told me about that and I went along to that but he also told me about the drama 
Society, the Dramsalk in 90 Sligo, which had been restarted only recently because Declan Drahan had just started teaching a uh, a degree in, in theatre in IT Sligo. And when he got down to Sligo, um, he spotted that there wasn't a dram sock, and so he got that dram sock up and running along with Niall Caleri. Uh, so it was good timing. And so I learned from Finton Whelan in the drama circle. They now Finton was a great director, and and he just taught me in a in a really short space of time. And in the course of doing one play, it was a it was a John B. Keane play, um, the year of the hiker. I played Simi. He taught me just the basics of how to act on stage. You know how to project, how to um, make sure I don't have my back to the audience. Um, I had this awful habit of constantly moving. Like when I be, when I be, when I be saying my lines, um, when I delivering my lines, I uh, my legs wouldn't stop moving under me, and so he says he threatened to nail my feet to the to the to the to the boards, uh, and so he got me to stop doing that. And but the rest of it. The learning lines that just came to me, and I have a terrible memory. That just was always there. Um, and finding the character, uh, was something that I instinctively knew not to to worry too much about, because. There was enough in scripted theatre to basically know your lines and listen to what the other people on the stage are saying and 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 allow yourself to fall into the scene and live with the scene and live with the other people on stage and you don't have to think too much about building your character around that, especially when you're just starting out and so I did that, and I was good at it. And then at the same time, in the dram stock, God bless Drahan and Kaliri, I was being introduced to theatre of the absurd and doing pieces by UNESCO. And we did a bit of devising and ensemble work, and <laughs> it was a great way to learn how to do it. But... I suppose a bit I'm a bit nervous admitting is that it wouldn't have worked if I didn't have, well, let's be honest, just by pure luck, if I didn't have some sort of an inherent skill or an ability to do it. It's what I'm good at. I was talking to Ioni about this yesterday. I'm a good actor. And for some reason now, for over 10 years now, I've kind of ran away from that work. And part of why, well, not part of, I think a big part of why I ran away from that work is that I quickly grew tired of auditioning. And I also got frustrated with the quality of the work I was doing then sometimes when I would get through an audition process. I'd find that I'd suddenly be working on a script that actually wasn't that much good or I'd be working on a decent script but not everyone in the cast would be um, strong enough or I'd be dealing with a good script and a good cast and our director wouldn't know what, what they're doing, you know. So it frustrated me when that would happen and I would feel... For better or worse, a sense of of like I was hurting. How do I put this? A sense that um, (laughs) 
that I was not demeaning myself. That's a bit hard. But certainly that I was... It was damaging to my self-respect. If I found myself working in something that I didn't think was good enough. And I wonder now, looking back on the... At the... Again, no more than what I was... When I look back on my attitudes towards, you know, building an audience, I wonder at my attitude towards that. Um, I wonder how much of that was just worrying what other people would think. But it's hard. It's hard when your work requires an audience. When your work requires a, a public reaction it's kind of hard not to worry what other people think. So this, this stuff is, is tricky. It's tricky to not care what other people think, but at the same time, never losing sight of the audience's role in all of this. That, that's, that's something I've, I've yet to figure out. How to, how to pull off that balancing act. So I think what I'm figuring out today is that just it's not going to be enough just to keep recording an hour of of me thinking aloud like this every week and hope that eventually it will build an audience it'll find an audience I need to do more. I need to figure out what it is I want. And and then see if I can figure out how to make that happen. Okay, so we've done over 45 minutes now. I'm going to run into Aldi, get the stuff I need, and then we'll finish this uh, on the way back. Okay, so back in a moment. Okay, I'm back. Um, so... What do I want? That's the question. So do I answer this as in what do I want as an artist? Or do I just for now focus on what do I want for this? Uh podcast the john rogers talk show um well they're both connected um so again i'm reiterating stuff i've already told you it'll be 10 years this september uh when i first started the john rogers show my internet radio show and it started off as this kind of a halfway between a hobby and something a bit more serious than a hobby uh, it's um, the inspiration uh, to start doing a internet radio show was similar in many ways to what uh, brought me to um, making uh or just becoming and trying out acting is that I was always curious as whether or not I'd be any good at it and you two released um, Songs of Innocence that's coming on 10 years now uh, 10 years you know this it's, it's 10 years this year and um, 
the first single was the ballad of Joey Ramon and as always um, whenever you two uh, release a new single off a new album first single of every new album they give it to Dave Fanning and so Dave Fanning was back briefly on his whole count in 2FM playing um, a brand new U2 song by the way I know I've said this already in the past but it's worth repeating the BBC knew what they had with John Peel I always found John Peel a bit of a snob maybe that's I, I only felt that way because he was never a big fan of U2 but they knew what they had in BBC knew what they had in John Peel and it didn't matter if the man was getting older and older they left him on their um, main radio channel now as far as I know it's weird in, in, in the UK Radio 1 is kind of what 2FM was when I was growing up you know or uh, it was more of a mixture of 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 Radio 1 and 2FM but when it came to like rock and pop music, Radio One and the BBC was what Two um, FM was, or Radio Two before Two FM in Ireland. So, um, you know, the BBC didn't think, well, we want to hold on to our young audience. So John Peel is getting too old. We're going to shuffle him off to, you know, the older person's radio station. They kept him. As far as I know, I don't listen to any British radio, but this is my understanding. That's what they did. RT, bizarrely, felt that Dave Fanning was getting too old for his job, and so they took him off to FM. And I always thought that that was a mistake. I know it was a mistake, because uh, Dave Fanning was playing Billie Eilish on RT before anybody on 2FM was. Uh, so, you know because the man was was uh, getting older just as we all do it didn't mean that he was uh, not um, that he was no longer the, guy, the right guy for the job now the reason I bring this all up is that when I heard him back on the radio back on his old patch on 2FM it reminded me of the joy of listening to him when I was a kid in secondary school in the 90s but it also reminded me that hey that was something I was always wondering if I you know what I'd be any good at and now I suddenly had the technology to do it with the internet and with you know half a decent microphone and access to lots and lots of music and suddenly I could have my own radio show and I ran it every evening and it used to go out at 10 o'clock on a, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a Thursday night and that still I think is its natural place my radio show, the John Rogers show. Uh, it's just not <coughs> possible for me to do that right now with kids, with young kids. Um, so it ran regularly enough for a few seasons, and then I became a dad, and then Thursday nights just more possible. And so I would bring it back every now and again. I brought it back during lockdown and stuff like that. But I made a decision um, last year that, I, that come September 2023, so September last year, I'd start it up again. This time I'd start it and run it for just about an hour, thereabouts, uh, every Saturday, uh, sorry, every Friday morning at 10 a.m. And that's what I've been doing. Um, and then out of that, well, except, but this time I started thinking, okay, why? Why am I doing this? Because it takes up time. There's, I have to put time aside to sit down. Not a lot of time, but still time to sit down and go, what are the songs I'm going to play this week? Uh, and then there's the broadcasting of it, but also there's the uploading of it and listening back to it and making sure it sounds halfway decent and get it up loaded and make sure the website is updated and that you know it takes a bit of time it's not just the hour that they of the broadcast so 
my time is very valuable because having young kids not being able to afford a whole lot of childcare I don't have a lot of time at the moment and that's fine my wife and I have made that decision that that's how it will be when the kids are young but if I have um, such a small amount of time to spend making art why would I use some of that time doing the radio show when the radio show isn't uh, necessarily or isn't not necessarily just isn't the art that I want to make the reason I brought the radio show back and the reason why I'm doing this pod is that between becoming a parent moving out of the city and lockdown I and and also looking back at it now making the mistake of doing so much work by myself as a solo artist for 10 years I found myself now suddenly realizing that the thing that I want the thing that I think will bring me most joy is not just to get the chance to make good and interesting theatre that might have some chance of finding an audience but also to do that with a group of people to have a community again and so I, I don't have that community and what the radio show does even though there's only a handful of people tuning in every week and even though there's only a tiny amount of people listening to this talk show every week what it does is it's giving me some form of a connection with a small group of people every week and that is extremely valuable to me um But that's not that can't be enough though. I or no, a better way to put it is that I have to be mindful <laughs> So Yeah, here's here's what it is. That connection I have with the people who tune in, and God bless you, my regulars, for coming along every week is it's a connection surely but it's not quite the same thing as having a group of people basically having an ensemble to make theatre I look at my wife's company Moonfish and I see what I want How do I get these people? How do I find them? And how do I find the money to pay for them? That was the impetus behind bringing the radio show back, but also behind um, starting this John Rogers talk show but what happened this is there's two things that 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 then happened to me one is that and again I don't want to overshare my personal life but uh, my wife and I are going through a period where we're not getting enough sleep basically kids, one in particular doesn't sleep very well, um, 
and <laughs> I'm tired a lot of the time. Tired a lot of the time. I've never experienced that before. Especially the last three years. In particular, the last year and a half. I've never experienced this level of getting by, just getting by, on this, in this kind of foggy state. And then I've the other thing that I was touching on last week, this constant, sometimes low level, sometimes quite prevalent anxiety that flares up whenever it's time for me to do something, even if that is something that will bring me pleasure or joy. And what happens is that I start getting forgetful. These two things make me forgetful, the opposite of mindful, and I start going through the motions and I forget the why, the why I'm doing things. forget that I started this talk show as a means of somehow getting a team around I forget that and so every Monday comes and I I'm just about getting the minimum done which is make sure I have time to go off and record a stream of consciousness Human consciousness is okay if it happens every now and again, but it can't be what this is every week, or there's not a hope in hell of me building an audience around it. So, so it's okay. I don't mind having like what's this? A, 11 episodes now of just managing most weeks to get it done but it's 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 time now for me to, to start focusing on what I wanted and what what I wanted to, to actually be and see how do I go about making that happen that's what I need to do and the next and obvious step is to start bringing people in so I have on a number of occasions in the last year I've met a list of people who I know all of them I know bar one or two who um, I don't know but I've reached out to um, who I think are interesting people who I would like to collaborate with as an artist possibly also as an activist and And the first step I'd like to do is see if I could, instead of going for a walk with Bonnie, as I normally do for this, even though I haven't done that for the last couple of weeks, is that I go for a walk with this person and Bonnie, Bonnie, if, if it's to be, if, it, if it's to be done here in Galway, or I go meet them wherever they're at and go for a walk and we talk. And, but, but there's a focus on the talk. So for instance, even though I haven't, Officially, I haven't um, formally run this by her yet, but for instance, I would like to have a conversation with my friend Zita about religion, if she's up for it. Um, but there's lots of things I'd like to talk to Zita about, and I think you guys would find those who don't know her would find it very interesting to hear what she's got to say about making theater, making art what she has to say about being a, a mum 
a mother, and lots of other things. And there are a few people on that list. And I think it's past time that I started formally reaching out to them and asking them, would they be interested in uh, in having a chat? So... Maybe in the short term, what you guys are who are listening, who are listening to this, who are choosing to listen to this, um, for now maybe you'll be my witnesses. So it might be enough just for now for me to come back to you next week and say this is how I got on in getting that group of people together and, and getting started on interviewing these people. I'll report on that this day week. And try to keep the thing moving, progressing, building. At home now, and Bonnie has come out to, to meet me. And my God, what a beautiful day today was. And what a be- beautiful evening it is now. So maybe what I'll do now is put the shopping away and then go for a quick walk with the pup and then it's dinner time right just ran over thanks very much for listening I'll take a listen back to it and see if it works if it worked and uh, publish it tonight Long.